0: Welcome to IBS Chat from the IBS Patient Support Group. I'm Jeffrey Roberts, the IBS expert and founder of the IBS Patient Support Group website and social media platforms and creator of World IBS Day, held every April 19th. I was diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome at age 16 and I've lived with IBS for over 25 years. It's my mission to educate people living with irritable bowel syndrome and to raise awareness about research and treatment options and what it's like to live with IBS. The IBS Patient Support Group is a community to inform and support irritable bowel syndrome sufferers and can be reached at ibspatient.org. Supporting IBS patients is something that I think of every day because the quality of life of an IBS patient and those that support them is very important to me. Episode number eight. Dr. Jeffrey Lachner is an internationally recognized authority on the behavioral treatment of chronic pain disorders, especially irritable bowel syndrome. He has influenced doctors and therapists guidelines worldwide. He is a professor of medicine and chief of the division of behavioral medicine jacobs school of medicine and biomedical sciences at the university at buffalo in this podcast dr lachner and i speak at digestive disease week in san diego about cognitive behavioral therapy or cbt and its role as a validated treatment option for ibs patients cbt is no longer just for anxious or stressed patients rather positive physical changes are occurring in the gut related to abdominal pain and stool regularities CBT is now a legitimate treatment option, like diet or medication, to manage patients' IBS symptoms, thanks in part to Dr. Lochner's research and work. Hi, I'm here at DDW and am with uh, Dr. Jeff Lochner. So you and your team have done pioneering work in cognitive behavioral therapies, or CBT, and helping, you've been helping IBS patients to manage their symptoms. What's the best way to explain this to someone who doesn't really understand or know what CBT is?
1: Sure, it's a great question. I think, first of all, um The success that we've had with uh, developing and validating CBT largely comes down to presenting it not as some type of psychotherapy, but as a way of managing the disease, much like we would with other diseases, whether it's asthma or arthritis or heart disease or diabetes. Um, Patients don't have any problems understanding that for those diseases for which there's no real simple cure, it really comes down to learning very specific skills and tools. And that's really what CBT is about. It's learning to um, acquire very specific tools and strategies to manage pain and stool irregularities where drugs fall short.
0: Okay. So uh, several years ago you wrote a really good book uh, about your research called Controlling IBS a Drug-Free Way, a 10-step plan for symptom relief. There has been recent clinical research from the UK related uh, to this remotely delivered CBT and IBS treatment. Is your approach still relevant and do you feel that it, that new research is an extension of your work or how does it differ?
1: First of all, I- the, the study that you talked about is a study that was done by Dr. Everett and her team at UK that looked at two versions of CBT. One was a web-based treatment that involved uh, two hours of, of uh, uh, patient time, and the other was a telephone uh, version of CBT that involved eight hours of patient time and they compare that to treatment as usual. I think in, in some ways it validates what we've done, both both studies, our study and uh, the work we've done and there's really reinforced the importance of, of CBT because both studies show that CBT was associated with improvements in, in uh, IBS symptoms. Where their study kind of fell short is really not knowing whether there was a difference between the web base or telephone treatment we know that their, that their CBT versions were better than treatment as usual but that's kind of a, a weak comparison because we already know that the real important question is whether uh, uh, those two CBT versions are, are better or worse than one another so I think that um, th- there's a lot to be excited about from that study but I think it's consistent and doesn't uh, render ours any uh, less important. I think it's the exact opposite.
0: Well, that's interesting. Thanks for explaining that. Can, can you walk <clears throat> me through the kind of questions that you would start asking an IBS sufferer to start them down the path and the journey of discovering themselves and the, the way that they might be able to manage their, their own symptoms?
1: Sure. Well, I, I think there's a lot of similarity with what a gastroenterologist would ask in some ways. I so think where there's overlap is asking about the nature of their symptoms, whether there's a predominant, uh, uh, what the predominant stool. Um, a pattern is whether it's diarrhea predominant, constipation predominant, or alternating Whether how uh, ab- abdominal pain fits in. Then questions about what triggers those symptoms, what the responses are those to those symptoms, um, what they do to manage the symptoms on a day-to-day basis. Um, sometimes patients, they do the best they can, and sometimes the best they can is in the short term really helpful, but in the long term it actually can reinforce some of the the, um, the problems that uh, get in the way of living a, a fuller life. So if they start avoiding activities right. or if they kind of, if their world kind of shrinks, there are some strategies that we can teach patients to actually take control of their life and and um, even if, if, in, if in the long term it helps them kind of improve the quality of their life. I think one of the things that you want to ask somebody who is, being referred for cbt is you know is are they interested in learning some ways of managing their pain Um, cbt is not like a traditional psychotherapy you're not laying down on a couch you're not having your head shrunk you're not you're not there because you're you're crazy or whacked out you're there because your 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 doctor has has kind of hit the end of the road in terms of medications and, and drugs, and you're there because the the what we know, based on all the literature, is that patients can really learn skills to manage their pain better. So if that's not something that you're interested in, then that's we can't really help. But I think if someone's willing to kind of throw their effort into learning some better strategies, much like you would other, whether it's learning how to set up your iPhone or. Uh, t v or then then I think that's then that 's a good match
0: so two important things that you said one was um, that the patient needs to buy in to wanting to be involved in CBT right. in order to try and find um, some different answers, look at uh, some of their problems in a different way, and understand how they feel with certain symptoms and the other thing you said was that doctors hit the end of the road in terms of their treatment option. Can patients do CBT in conjunction with uh, treatment from their gastroenterologist? Does it have to be uh, uh, one or the other or can they both be done together? So
1: that's, that's a great question. I think one of the, the things I like about CBT is it can be very easily integrated into other, with other treatments. We would never think for, for hypertension, to answer your question, that the only way of managing hypertension is to reduce salt. Right. Uh, we would never kind of think that the only thing uh, with diabetes is to reduce your sugar. We right. would, would, with other types of chronic diseases, we understand that these are really complicated. We know they're so complicated, no one has all the solutions. And so whether that means dietary changes or medications or behavioral changes or other lifestyle changes that are where there is evidence, we're, we're totally receptive. No one has all the answers. Um, and
0: I think that's really important is you have to recognize that nobody has all the answers. And if a patient is not getting adequate control, that this is just another uh, treatment option Uh, in addition to what they're doing, but also, or exclusively. Exactly. Uh, And to your point about the patient buying into it, I know that uh, there have been people who have done CBT and didn't feel that, that it was useful for them, and I think it was because they hadn't bought into it. And that is the most important thing, if it's a takeaway from this conversation, is the patient has to buy into it. You have to uh, really want to, to at least try it and follow it and and listen to what's happening.
1: Well, buy-in isn't uh, the, the burden of CBT buy-in is the burden of any type of treatment whether it's diet dietary treatments or medications or yeah. i mean the the i mean your work with in, with patient engagement is premised on buy-in you know you people you 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 want to engage patients we we would do the same thing we want to engage our patients so that they can kind of uh, take more control of their their lives um, we don't have any other agenda than the patient's agenda. It's not like I want to get them better and they don't want to get them better, vice versa. Good point. Yes. I mean, it's the same. We have the same goal. It's so on that base, on that shared ground, you can kind of uh, work together on a journey. Um, but that's I think really important is being able to kind of say, listen, my goal is your goal. It's not like you want to get better and I want to kind of have shrink your head. Um, Uh, our goal is the same. And and on that basis, I think you can engage patients. Okay,
0: thank you. Uh, Final question. Uh, Some people might think that cognitive behavioral therapy only affects the mind and our thoughts. In your work, have you seen if there are changes in someone's gut that might explain the, the symptom relief?
1: One of the fascinating things about CBT for IBS uh, and this is something that we found early in a, in a meta-analysis with Stephen Morley at the UK, and has been consistent, uh, uh, consistent finding by other investigators, is that CBT for IBS, uh, and other types of psychological treatments, but mostly CBT because it's the, the best tested and best uh, supported, is that we see changes in physical symptoms, whether it's abdominal pain or stool irregularities, where we don't see changes is in coexisting distress.
0: Can you explain that we don't,
1: s- we don't see changes in anxiety. We don't see changes in depression. We see changes consistently in abdominal pain and bowel habits, uh, which suggests that, that while CBT is a brain-targeted treatment, its impact has physical changes. It doesn't seem to impact as robustly some of the psychological uh, difficulties or challenges that our, our patients have. Now, one of the exciting things that we've we've done is our, has been our collaboration with uh, Dr. Emmer Mayer's group at UCLA. We actually see that uh, patients who go through CBT show changes in the brain structure and function before and after treatment. And recently, we also see um, that the microbiome predicts treatment responders. Oh. So I think we're beyond the idea that. In, I think this is a, a huge change compared to ten years ago. That the, the patients who are referred to CBT are just referred because they're just stressed out about their their symptoms, or they're anxious or depressed. We now have a treatment that really is a viable treatment that that um, it really has an impact on recalibrating the brain gut interactions that underlie. Uh, uh, the cardinal symptoms of IBS.
0: You know, I go back. We've known each other quite some time, and uh, you uh, and Dr. Mayer and, and others have really put CBT on the map as a treatment option. If you go back 15 years, exactly the way you've described it, that people thought that you know CBT was more about working with somebody's head, and now we're actually seeing it as an actual treatment option.
1: It's 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 very gratifying. I think I think. Um, uh, to, to see that CBT is is not you know just kind of a you know a dumping ground for patients who are uh, uh, you know anxious or depressed and and going back to, to the first question, I've always felt like you know we don't institute lifestyle changes for someone who has hypertension after they start uh, crying in their doctor's office that the day to day burden of their uh, hypertension mm-hmm. is is too much. We don't do that with diabetes, we don't do that with asthma, we don't do that with any chronic disease. In fact, behavioral changes that are essentially cognitive behavioral changes are first-line treatments for for other types of chronic diseases.
0: To to that point, IBS has really changed in the last 15 or 20 years in that it was seen as a a benign illness and and it was in a patient's head. And there's been so many breakthroughs in terms of treatment options, uh, and have identified actual changes in, in the gut. That it's very encouraging for patients that we're heading in the right direction. That we're actually validating uh, what a patient is feeling. And now there's you know some great options for patients and for physicians well, to work with.
1: I think that I mean that's a great point. I think that one of the things about CBT is is not you know we don't we're kind of agnostic about what causes it, but about these problems. We don't really know what causes. Right. We're not at that point, but the solution can be in your head. And to the extent that CBT is a learning-based treatment, we need to use our heads to be able to kind of learn different strategies to deal with problems, to manage problems where uh, medications and dietary changes fall short.
0: Wow, this has been a really interesting conversation. Uh, thank you again, Dr. Lachner,
1: for your time today. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you for all you've done.